You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. When Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 30. Today's reading is from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The very night when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Wrap your mantle around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened to them of its own accord, and then they went out and passed on through one street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Our reading today begins with the martyrdom of James. So just a quick question, Father, as we get started. Was James the first of the apostles to be martyred? Yes, James, the son of Zebedee, was the first apostle to be martyred. Now, obviously, he wasn't the first disciple to be martyred, as that would be St. Stephen. But St. James was the first of the twelve, and the only one whose martyrdom is recorded in the New Testament. Do you think that there's any special significance to that? Well, I don't know that there's necessarily any special significance, but it is interesting that James in Greek is actually named Jacob. Okay, uh, so hang on a minute, Father. I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> yeah. Uh, could you explain that? Uh, why, is, why is he called James if his name is Jacob? Yeah, definitely confusing, but but also an interesting story. There's an apocryphal story that King James wanted his name in the Bible, and so he changed the name Jacob to James, and I don't think that's probably actually true. What seems to have happened was an issue in translation. In Greek, you have the name Iakovos, or in the more ancient pronunciation, Iakobos. In Latin, it goes to Iakimus, and then in Old French and uh English, for some reason, in the New Testament, it becomes James. Now, why this didn't happen with the Old Testament name of Jacob, which is also in the Greek Old Testament and the Hebrew transliteration, Yaakov or Yaakovos, I don't know. But the important thing to know is that James in the New Testament is the same name, obviously not the same person, but the same name as the great patriarch Jacob in the Old Testament. Okay. Well, thanks for making sense of that for us, Father. Now, if uh, back to what you were saying initially, you, you found it of interest that James, the son of Zebedee, or more precisely from the Greek, uh, Jacob, 
the son of Zebedee, was the first martyr. Why is that of interest to you? Well, really for two reasons. The first is that you have that connection in the name to the great patriarch Jacob. Now, obviously, any Jewish person at the time of Christ or even now would have in their mind the great patriarch Jacob when they hear that name, Jacob. Remember that Jacob was the one after whom Israel was named because Jacob in the Old Testament was renamed Israel. So here in the New Testament, the first apostle to be martyred is Jacob. It's as though the old Jacob, the one who was the usurper, remember in Genesis, that's how he got his name, who deceitfully obtained his brother's birthright, who lived according to the ways of the world, is redeemed in this new Jacob, the apostle and martyr for Jesus Christ's gospel. It's like we say with Christ, he was the new Adam. Well, Jacob, or as he's referred to in English, James, and this is why it's so unfortunate to lose that connection in translation, it's as though this Jacob James, the son of Zebedee, is a new Jacob, a new Israel, the Israel of God, as Paul says, the Israel that submits to Christ, that recognizes it must put its trust in Jesus Christ and not in its own righteousness. And then secondly, just very quickly, uh, we remember that James and John were bickering about who of Jesus' disciples would be greatest and that their mother asked that they may sit by Jesus, one on the right and the other on the left, in his kingdom. And Jesus' response was that those seats were taken, but that James and John would, like Jesus, be martyred for the sake of the gospel. And so this is a fulfillment of what Jesus had said earlier. Uh, In other words, mothers, be careful what you ask for. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. So we then see Herod imprisoned Peter and that he assigned four squads of soldiers to guard him. And that seems like overkill to me, Father, for just one man. What was it that Herod was so concerned about? The first thing I would point out is to be sure we understand that we're talking about Herod Antipas and not Herod the Great. Uh, Briefly, Father, what's the difference between the two? Well, Herod the Great was the father of Herod Antipas. Herod the Great was a more powerful figure and leader, having control over a larger area. He was the one referenced in the story of the slaughter of the innocents, when he is said to have commanded the death of all in Judea under the age of two, in order to try to ensure he killed the baby Jesus. Now when he died, when Herod the Great died, his kingdom was split up. So Herod Antipas, the one referenced in our reading today, was uh, governing over a smaller area. But he is the one with whom biblical readers are more familiar because he was the one who commanded the death of St. John the Baptist and was involved in Jesus' crucifixion. Thanks for clarifying that and and making those distinctions, Father. And getting back to the four squads of soldiers, what's going on with that in today's passage? Well, like you said, it was probably overkill, but getting back to Herod Antipas, he would have been the leader of the political Jews— Another way to say that would be he was the political leader of the Jewish leadership. And we know from the story of the New Testament and even from historical documents that many of the Jewish leaders were, of course, compromised in their relationship with Herod in the sense that they did what was best for them to live under his patronage and not necessarily what uh, would have been best for the Jewish people. And because of that, Uh, They're obviously opposed to Jesus' message. They're opposed really to any messianic figure because very many of the Jews were not happy with the situation they were in. They were not happy being under control of the Roman state. 
And so they were looking for the Messiah to lead them to freedom, to get them out from under the Roman boot. And that's ultimately why the Romans were concerned with Jesus or with any messianic figure who gained prominence. Jesus and his movement were a threat to the empire, a threat to the status quo. As we heard recently, right towards the end of Holy Week, the Jewish leadership convinces the Roman leadership to seal Christ's tomb. And that's why they place the large stone in front of the tomb and put soldiers there to watch it. They mention that Jesus said he would rise from the dead, and they note that if his body is stolen, as they say, the last fraud will be worse than the first. So when we hear that story, we should understand the sense that they're not just trying to bury Jesus, they're trying to bury his message, his gospel. So the same is now true with Peter. They're not just trying to chain Peter, they're trying to chain the message that Peter's spreading, the message of the Messiah, who again is seen by the Romans and in fact is a threat to traditional Roman rule. So the fact that Herod places four guards as overkill is to stress the importance to Herod, to the Roman leadership, to the Jewish leadership that wanted to be preferred under his patronage, the importance to all of them that this gospel message be chained down and stopped and stamped out. They want it to end and they want it to end now. Uh, the four squads is likely symbolic as well because the number four is a universal number in the Bible indicating the so-called four corners of the universe, north, south, east, and west. So Peter's being chained and they're guarding him from all directions so that no one could come and unbind him. And I would just note to our listeners something perhaps we can explore in more depth in the future, but note as you read the Bible how often there is this theme of being bound by something and then being loosened. And ultimately, it all comes back to the fact that we are bound under the Mosaic Law, as St. Paul highlights in Galatians and Romans especially, until Christ frees us from those bonds and we can walk about in newness of life and the freedom provided by Christ, the freedom provided by grace. Speaking of that, speaking of freedom, the final verses today describe Peter's escape from prison, and it's a chaotic scene that seems to cause Peter some confusion initially. After all, he was asleep when all this began to take place. But once he reached the street and the angel left him, he saw with clarity that this was the work of the Lord. After reading this passage, I can't help but think of the current situation that we're all in. And the world seems to be in chaos right now, and I know that God is in control and, and at work amidst the chaos. Father, what would you say regarding the closing of today's reading and the current state of the world? Yeah, interesting analogy and parallel there, Jason. I think the first thing I would say relates to what I was just saying a minute ago, uh, specifically that you have this theme of being bound and loosened throughout the New Testament. And as I said, the theme relates to St. Paul's teaching that we are bound under sin, bound under the Mosaic law, but we have been freed to walk in newness of life under the law of grace, so to speak. Or as we would often say, and as St. Paul would say, we were set free from the Mosaic law, but, and this is a major qualifier, we were not set free from the law to do whatever we want. We were set free so that we might live according to the law of Christ, the law of grace. And under that law, we must be gracious to others, just as God was first gracious to us. And I must say, this is the area where I have a beef, so to speak, with 
so many Christians today, and I'm talking all Christians, Orthodox, we Orthodox are just as bad or worse than any other Christians in this area in my experience. You see, we cannot just accept one side of that equation. We cannot just accept that God forgives us, that he's gracious to us, that he overlooks our sins. If we accept that proposition, then we must also accept that God calls us to do the same for our neighbor, and most especially, most especially for our enemies. So we cannot just go about saying that God forgives us and then be so critical of everyone else. We have to extend the same mercy God gives us to the others and again, most especially to our enemies, to our opponents. So we are set free from the Mosaic Law, which is enslaving because none of us, except for Christ, were able to fulfill all of it, which then leads to our spiritual death. And we are set free from that to be free to be gracious to others on the sole basis, again, the sole basis that God was first gracious to us. And I highlight this because when we talk about being bound by the coronavirus pandemic and we talk about being free from it, we should remember that our freedom from it is not so that we can do whatever we want and whatever we feel like doing. No, our freedom is that despite being bound by it, we would be free to serve others. And we all can serve others during this time, no matter what our situation. You know, are we among the vulnerable, and is it wise for us to stay at home? Then let us spend much time every day calling other people who are shut in, or people who are lonely because of the social isolation, or people who might be hurting from losing their jobs or losing a loved one. Let us spend time in prayer for the world and in study of Scripture instead of scrolling through Facebook, listening to people jabber and gossip. Are we among the healthy? In addition to what those in isolation can do, let us see if we can go get groceries for the elderly, for the vulnerable church members, for neighbors who don't want to or can't risk going out. Are we among those who are still financially stable? then let us pass along our stimulus checks to the needy. And this has been a beautiful trend I'm seeing among uh, some of our church members and some people in society. People who have donated all or significant chunks of their stimulus checks to people in need or have given it to charitable work that serves the vulnerable. You know, what a wonderful way in this time to be free, to be gracious to others. And then finally, I would uh, conclude by saying that we all make a choice, and it's a choice in the attitude that we have. We can choose to live in fear, or we can choose to live by faith and trust in God. And unfortunately, many people preach as though living by faith means that you're reckless. Uh, we've seen numerous stories of Christians and even pastors who publicly minimize the health threat of this virus, who contracted it and died. And what they're preaching is not faith. In my opinion, it's selfishness and arrogance. Faith doesn't tell us, let alone t tell somebody else, that they should rush out towards danger. It doesn't tell us to be reckless with our health and our life, and again, to be reckless uh, with the health and the lives of others. I think about Jesus at his temptation. He didn't jump off the highest point of the temple noting from the book of Deuteronomy that we don't put the Lord God to test in that type of manner. But at the same time, faith means that we do not live in constant fear of death. Faith means that we strike that healthy balance. We don't do things that are reckless or unnecessarily put ourselves at risk of 
premature death, but we do not live in fear of what might happen to us. And again, we certainly don't go out of our way to put others in danger. We trust that if we live according to how God has asked us to live, that if we're gracious and forgiving towards others as he has been towards us, then no matter what happens to us in this life, he will take care of us in the next. So I do encourage our listeners to strike this balance, to free ourselves from fear, which is paralyzing. And while being cautious and prudent, not so much again for our own sake, but for the sake of the others who may not be as strong in faith or who may be physically vulnerable, for us to find ways that each of us can show grace and mercy and love to our fellow church members, to our neighbors, our fellow citizens during these difficult days. Thank you, Father. We began today's episode with a discussion around the name of James, the first of the apostles to be martyred. Father Aaron explained that the name James was originally Jacob from the Greek, and that the origin of the transition from the name of Jacob to James in the New Testament is not entirely clear. With this in mind, we were reminded that Jacob was the one after whom Israel was named. In his martyrdom, this new Jacob is redeemed and can be seen to serve as a new Israel, the Israel of God. We then turn to the imprisonment of Peter by Herod Antipas. Having been unsatisfied merely with the crucifixion of Christ, Herod Antipas, like the rest of the Jewish leadership, moved to also bury his message. Herod chains Peter physically with the hope of restraining the message that Peter is spreading, the message of the Messiah. He is guarded by four squads of soldiers, indicating Herod's desire to encompass and eradicate the gospel. Finally, we moved to the scene of Peter's chaotic escape from prison, aided by an angel of the Lord. We were assured that, like Peter and his escape from prison, God is always in control and at work in the midst of chaos. Father Aaron implored all of us to remember that as Christians, we have been set free from the Mosaic Law. But this does not mean that we can do whatever we please. We were set free so that we might live according to the law of grace. So let us all look for opportunities to provide this grace given to us by God to others, to reach out to those who are shut in and vulnerable, and to provide financial assistance to those who have been affected by this pandemic. And let us also be mindful of our attitudes and choose to live not by fear, but by faith and trust in God. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God.